Welcome to the Future Humans podcast with Gene Houston and Annalise Smitsman, the co-authors of the Future Humans Trilogy. Today, we have the enormous pleasure of welcoming our dear friend, Dr. Jude Caravan. Now, Dr. Jude is a cosmologist, a planetary healer, a futurist, and an author. She also writes some of the best science fiction I have ever seen. <laughs> now, she has experienced multidimensional realities since, I guess, early childhood. Holds, she holds a PhD in anthropological archaeology from the University of Reading in the UK, where she researched ancient cosmologies. How fascinating. She also has a master's degree in physics from Oxford University, specializing in cosmology and quantum physics. She's authored a number of books, including the award-winning book, The Cosmic Hologram, Information at the Center of Creation, which has become for many a kind of scientific Bible because she literally brings us deep, deep understandings of the way that the universe works. Her upcoming book, The Story of Gaia, shares the journey of our conscious, unified, and evolutionary universe and planetary home. Jude is truly a leading pioneer in the integration of leading-edge science and universal wisdom teachings aiming to serve humanity's understanding, experiencing, and embodying of the unitive consciousness. Oh, Jude, you know, I really think of you as a modern Galileo in terms of the depth and the breadth and the extraordinary, I would have to say, power of your vision of the way the universe works. Jude, can you please share with us what inspired you to write the story of Gaia, which is truly, truly one of the most comprehensive books I've read for understanding the vast wisdom of our planet and our living universe. Dearest Jean, dearest Anna Luce, it's wonderful to be with you both. Thank you for that very kind introduction and that very profound question to get us going. Um, first of all, I don't feel I wrote the story of Gaia. I feel the story of Gaia wrote me in that sense. And it really did feel a call from Gaia. I've experienced our planetary home. I've experienced our universe as a living, conscious, evolving, unified entity, pretty much since I was a very, very young child. And so for me, as the evidence has mounted that stands alongside ancient wisdom teachings, indigenous wisdom teachings, that that indeed is the, the true nature of reality, I've really felt called to share that new scientifically-based evidence to, to literally underpin and frame us at this moment of choice, at this tumultuous moment of our potential conscious evolution. And what I was especially called with the story of Gaia 
is the incredible scientific breakthroughs that evolutionary biology, but also much, much else has been discovering about our planetary home uh, and all her children over the last few years. And to share that with as wide a, a readership as possible, because I talk about, you know, perhaps what the book might, might serve is to help us wake up, first of all, to remember we're inseparable, and secondly, to wake up and realize that we are Gaians. You know, we're all part of her sentience. Um, and for me, if, if somebody begins the book not feeling that, I just hope that by the end of the book, they have a profound aha experience to recognize that. That is beautiful, you know, and, and Jews, you were just going to uh, what you said here in weaving with, you know, we're all Gaians. What I find so profound in your work, um, in, in the latest, uh, the story of Gaia, but also the Cosmic Hologram and all your other work, and, and you and I, we've, you know, published uh, papers and chapters together. So <laughs> we've been on this journey for a little while, and you've had a deep, deep influence and impact on my thinking. Uh, and that's especially your understanding of the evolutionary process. You know, when you're saying this understanding of being guidance, um, for people who were still very much influenced by this mechanistic worldview, they thought being a Gaian means, oh, I'm going to be competing to survive and I'm, and I'm going to outsmart other people. And, but that's not what you are revealing in your story at all. So I'd love to you know, see if you can share with us a little bit more about your understanding of this evolutionary process and why then it's truly a great thing to be a Gaian. It truly is. Uh, I mean, I realized very early on that I couldn't share the story of Gaia without going further back than her planetary birth, you know, four and a half billion years ago. That's far enough, I know. But actually what was so compelling was to go back to the very beginning of our universe, 13.8 billion years ago. And the appreciation that, first of all, our universe didn't begin in what we've come to call a big bang. You know, it wasn't big and it wasn't a bang in, in that sort of sense of an implied chaos. Instead, the evidence has shown us that it's much more akin to what the ancient Vedic tradition of, of India speaks of uh, as a universe that is the outbreath of Brahman, <sighs> truly a breath rather than any sort of chaotic process. Um, and so by starting in that point and, and showing the evidence that our universe did indeed begin in an incredibly ordered state and, and exquisitely fine-tuned, exquisitely fine-tuned, that it literally didn't just come into existence as a unified entity, but it came into its appearance of energy and matter and space-time existing to evolve. It embodies this incredible innate evolutionary impulse to evolve from simplicity to complexity. So when I went back to the beginning of the universe, because, you know, our stories, you know, whenever we tell our, our own stories, we can go back as far as our memories, our collective memories, our family memories allow us to. Well, we now have the science to tell the story of the entire family of our universe and, and our family of planets and our family of Gaia. And so 
I literally went back to that first point because what I wanted to share was the evidence to show the innately meaningful and inherently purposeful um, reality of our universe and therefore of us. So instead of the old story of a meaningless, purposeless, accidental, non-conscious universe, the evidence now is really standing alongside the universal wisdom teachings to turn that paradigm on its head. One of the things that has struck me so profoundly in the reading of the Cosmic Hologram and now the story of Gaia is that you have created a new metaphysics of reality based on science. That what you have done <clears throat> is you've opened up portals that most scientists have feared to approach. What makes you so fearless in your radical honesty and radical originality that at the same time opens the veils of consciousness to who and what we really, really are? It's, it's funny, Jean, isn't it? Before we, we started to record our podcast, we were talking about lionesses and yes. how lionesses are both incredibly gentle and utterly fearless when it comes to protecting those they love. Yes. And you asked me who my favourite lioness was, um, and you, you suggested Boudicca, you know, the ancient queen of Britain. And I yes. said, actually, it's my mum. <laughs> <laughs> She must have been a force to be reckoned with. She most certainly was, and she was even smaller than I am. <laughs> and her mum was even smaller, and she was another lioness. So I come from this lineage, this heritage of lionesses. And so my mum, when I was very small, taught me, showed me how to be fearless. Mm -hmm. And so if I see something that I feel is truthful, I, you know, if there's an opportunity and it feels appropriate, I want to stand up for that truth. And what I was finding in many, many years was the paradigm of materialist separation that I was taught at school and I knew then was, was not the reality. When I became able to and followed my curiosity through all these decades and decades and decades since is to appreciate the, the evidence that actually I stand on and that gives me the underpinning and the framing to be fearless because I'm not trying to impose this on anyone. I'm just saying, here's the evidence, you know, choose and see for yourselves, whoever you may be. Um, and if that evidence feels compelling mm -hmm. and if that evidence inspires you and empowers you, to for your own sort of well-being, your own curiosity, your own wholeness, then I'm I'm glad I was able to serve in that way. But I don't fear because how can I put it? Mum mum always said in life, show up and get out of the way. Mm. And what she meant was just leave your ego at the door, just show, show up. So I suppose that's why, you know, I, I'm I'm fearless because why wouldn't I be with that sort of inspirational guidance and, and soul modeling of my beloved mother? 
Mm, I love that. And and what was the role of intuition also for your mother? Did she um, encourage your intuition since you were little, tell you to trust in your intuition? Because intuition plays a really key role. I mean, you're telling us here is the evidence, but I know that you're so deeply insightful that you, you see <laughs> inside, even inside the nature of the universe, right? <laughs> so, yes, I'd, I'd be very curious to know how the role of intuition for you and in your upbringing, how that was supported. That's a lovely question. I'm not sure I know how to answer it. Because um, from the age of, of four, as, as we've spoken of before, I was, I was having many um, what I would call multidimensional experiences, you know, telepathic, remote viewing, um, and deeply intuitive. And I know my mum was deeply intuitive. I mean, folks around the neighbourhood would always come to mum if they needed a deep insight, and, and she would always provide it, but we never spoke of it. We never spoke of it. Um, it was something so deep, I think, within both of us that it, it was almost a given. And it was a given to trust it. And growing up in the north of England, as, as I did, uh, my dad and grandfather were coal miners. So I grew up in a very, very practical family where even though I know my mum was incredibly intuitive and, and, and I was too, and I suspect, you know, others of my, certainly my my female lineage have been for a long time it was just it was just something that was there it was a given and it wasn't discussed so it's many many years later that I even started to um you know to term it in that way because for me it was just a knowingness and it was a knowingness that I I trusted and it was a knowingness that never let me down dear friend I think of you as one who has crossed the great divide of otherness that you've had this extraordinary background with coal miners, radical intuitives, people who are thinking not out of the box, but within the box and finding the specifics about how the box actually works. And I, I wonder, what is it and where is it that you were grabbed by the future? As you know, Alice and I have written a book about the future human. And if ever I was looking for a model of the future human, it is you. But you're also deeply, deeply embedded in the far, far back past, how reality comes into being, how the universes form, how we arise out of the muchness and the suchness of all the elements and the elementals of consciousness. Something very interesting is going on with you, Jude, and I'd like to know what it is. Um, I suppose perhaps I can answer it in, in a way that says over many years and, and following my intuition, um, I found that I realized I wasn't in control of anything. Hmm. And so over, again, my life of curiosity, instead of trying to impose or control events, and I've been through enormous amounts of change in my life, I've sort of learned to attune with and align, attune to and align with what I sense. 
has been that evolutionary flow and therefore that call of of possibility of the future. So I sort of almost like a surfer on the bow wave, you know, (laughs) of a great wave. I felt myself just, you know, just being in that present moment. But of course that present moment encompasses the entire past Mm. and the possibility of the future. So in that moment is where I sense the potential. And, mm-hmm. and being in that present moment, I suppose like a surfer, I'm, I'm just conscious of that moment, but somehow that moment also brings forward information, perception of future possibility. And I'm finding that over the last few years, and, and certainly through the turmoil of what I'm describing as a metamorphosis rather than a crisis on our human journey. I'm sort of sensing into what that future, what the the highest manifestation and possibility of that future might be, not just for human beings, but for Gaia and for the entire evolutionary impulse of the entire universe, because I think that's what we are embodying. That's my sense. And I'm not so trying to look and impose anything. I'm there in the present moment, naturally inviting possibility to meet me. I think of the words, and I think they're about you, not I, not I, but the wind that blows through me. A fine wind is blowing the new direction of time. If only it bear me, if only it carry me, if only most lovely of all, I am born by the fine, fine wind that moves through the chaos of the world. We are in a chaos of the present world. But you, as part of the winds of understanding, the new energy of shift and change, the very incarnation of metaphor metamorphosis, what is the meta and where is the morphis, the morphia going? Where are the structures going? Be- being seen to being able to see so deeply into the past <laughs> and into the very birth pangs of the universe, and also, of course, in societies as they are interlinked. What do you see as the promise for humanity and for this earth and time in the next hundred years? My goodness, that's a big, deep, almost unanswerable, certainly for me, question. Well, you're one of the few who can answer it, so that's why I'm answering it. <laughs> At least I can, I can perhaps have a sense of what it might be. Yeah. Um, I think the question itself reminds me of the same question that I asked the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, when the story of Guy was writing me, um, I asked a question because I came across this, this whole concept of metamorphosis which is extraordinary when you really start to look and see the level of radical change that it involves. You know, we see a, a, you know, a caterpillar and we see a caterpillar, um, you know, a caterpillar is a, is a species that eats anything. It's a stage of a life that eats everything it can possibly do so. And then a moment comes where there's not much else to eat. And the caterpillar goes quiet, it goes into its cocoon. And in that cocoon, it literally breaks down. It's, it's, it's extant being 
breaks down. But as it does so, these imaginal cells start to, and they're there actually from the birth of the caterpillar. They don't just come into being. They've been there quietly, doing not much, all the time the caterpillar's been eating everything in sight. But then in that cocoon, the immune system of the caterpillar starts to break down and these imaginal cells start to activate. And as they do, they come together and then create over time. The butterfly or the moth, whatever the, 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 the being is that will emerge from that cocoon. But what's interesting to me is, is the sheer radical nature of that breakdown and breakthrough. And there are some creatures that have more than one metamorphosis in their life. An eel has three. I mean, it's just truly extraordinary. And each one, each chapter of that life is, is an utterly different being. So I asked the universe, I said, why did you create metamorphosis? And I got this immediate answer to explore the extent, the extreme of possibility. What is remotely possible and how could myself as a universe achieve it? And I have a sense, and, and this is why I do feel that we are in a metamorphosis process of conscious evolution, um, because I think we are breaking down potentially, you know, our story as, you know, what's come to this point. And what I really want to be clear of, at least in my own perception, is that this makes us no less human. I'm not talking about somehow, you know, connecting with technologies. I'm really feeling as the ancient wisdom teachers and indigenous teachers did, that this is, this is an expansion of what it means to be human, an expansion of consciousness where, you know, which naturalizes our remembering that we belong to a multidimensional universe and the grand adventure of its evolutionary journey. And so that's, that's my sense of where we are and why we are. And so the universe's evolutionary impulse, it seems to me, is flowing through us. And as it does so, we remain human, but we expand our circle of compassion, as Einstein said, from the I and the me to include the we and the all, but the all is much, much greater than the human family. And in terms of 100 years, I feel this is potentially the greatest, most radical revolutionary step that we've ever made as humans. And so in that sense, I can't answer. I can only say that it feels to me like I was when I was four years old or three years old and I was standing at the gates to my first school and I had no idea what I was going into. <laughs> And I, you know, and I, but one of the things I do feel it will mean is that it will mean that we naturalize multidimensional communications. All of those, not just intuition, which is our great superpower, but all the supernormal phenomena, which are our natural attributes, and access, you know, to universal information is, is an intrinsic part of that because it's something that we've forgotten we actually have 
And I feel it's something that we can move marvellously into a new adventure and an engagement with. I love that. Thank you, Judith. And I'd love to weave further with Metamorphosis. You know, um, in the quest of Rose and then later also in Return to Africa, we explore that process of metamorphosis through five future archetypes. And that's based on this, this understanding that you're sharing as well, that the universe also grows and develops sensory organs <laughs> in order to be able to both explore as well as actualize its cosmological potentials. And so we are also a sensory organ for the universe. Uh, and you know the, the kind of the key idea that we have with the, the future humans is that a future human is a sensory organ for the universe in order to explore and embody its next evolutionary stages of becoming this future consciousness of higher orders of possibilities. So I, I love how you are standing in that from that sense of awe and playfulness and, <laughs> and again, the, 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 the trust in the not knowing. And yet I can hear in your voice that is a deep knowing because there is a deep knowing of the sense that the, the next step is not a step of breakdown. It's a step of deeper becoming, deeper embodied uh, becoming. So if we were to see ourselves now really as these all these different sensory um, organs of the universe and really learn to become not just imaginal cells, but as you've said in your work a lot, linking up as well. So we're becoming the, uh, the imaginal organs and the imaginal bodies so that we are, as future humans, we are truly now embodying and giving birth to these new possibilities. Now you're also the founder of the whole world view. Okay? So please share with us a little bit about that because I have a sense that you have also an understanding about this linking up process that needs to happen as part of Gaia's intelligence, as part of Gaia's wisdom of what it means again to be a Gaian <laughs> and to then apply that also in the world. I mean, I find it fascinating. You also had a successful career in business. Um, so you really have yourself linked up, uh, not just in your multidimensional awareness that you were born with, but you've also always had this um, integral approach to the whole process of our species development. She really is the, the actualization of the future human. Isn't it isn't really wonderful? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both. Um, I suppose there are a number of things. There are a number of things. I naturally think in terms of we and all, and both in terms of my own experiences from very early, when I realized, literally realized, our universe and the cosmos is innately unified, and yet it expresses its unity through radical diversity. So there's a natural inclusivity in, in how I am. And that was really reinforced because of how I grew up, because a coal mining community, the lives of, so, you know, the lives of, of, of our husbands and fathers and brothers are so hard that actually there's an incredible community spirit. Everyone looks after everyone else. And so I grew up in that environment where if a neighbor or, or it, didn't, it didn't even need to be someone you knew particularly, 
that anywhere in the community that needed help, the community literally rallied round. And so there's that natural not wanting to leave anybody behind sort of thing, that natural coming together that I grew up with. And then when I was in business and, and globally in business, you know, um, before I, I'd, I'd gone through one strategic plan too many. <laughs> and I'd also, <laughs> also realised there's something much bigger than, than you know, uh, what I was then doing was, was coming down the line because I had real intimations of this time 30 years ago. Um, and, and really was a question of how can I best serve, you know, in that sense. Um, but I was I was a group finance director of, a, of an international company and therefore operating in 36 countries around the world. So it was it was it was a, both a natural, but it was also an absolute necessity to link up and lift up with people, to, to, to find ways of including and, and, and supporting and, and mutually engaging. And so, you know, growing up my, you know, corporate career and my natural intent, you know, my natural proclivities have always sought to include and link up and, and, and lift up and, and level up and light up as well, you know, because what I've loved and Jean, you are my soul model in this. You are the most incredible <laughs> encourager of people. <laughs> You know, you encourage and you inspire people to be. I, I, I know because I've had numbers of, of conversations with those that you've done this for, including myself. And we all go, you know, Gene, Gene just lifts us to be better than we think. <laughs> we had any idea that we knew we were. So, you know, I think that support is, is really important. And I now feel that part of this metamorphosis is an opportunity to to do that globally and, and in not the old hierarchical ways, which of course was the old paradigm and very much non-Gaian, but in the ways that Gaia does that. And Gaia does it through this, this multi-level, you know, holarchic inclusivity where every, every aspect of her, what I call her Gaia sphere, has its place and its purpose and its meaning and its evolutionary potential and purpose and everything literally works together. She's been doing that for over 4 billion years to optimize that evolutionary impulse through her to ever greater complexity. And it seems to me now that as we can wake up to become future humans, we literally can step into being her co-evolutionary partners whoa <laughs> dear dear friend what you have said is like the opening of the new book of humans in the universe so then the question that is bothering the minds of so many of us who at least pretend to be conscious and that is given where we are, where we could lose it all in the next 10, 20, 50 years. What do you see as the possibility of Gaia entering into partnership with us, radical partnership, so that we begin to change the story to the one of growth, becoming transparent to the transcendent function that is driving us all, and above all, 
experiencing the love that moves the sun and all the stars, as Dante said. What are its stages? Do you have a future history sensibility? And not only the, the positive history, but also some of the ways and means it happened. Would you look back into the present from 100 years in the future for us? Thank you, Jean. Um, my sense is that a hundred years from now, if we are to be still here, embodied as Gaians, then we will look back and appreciate that a hundred years ago, now, we woke up to remember we're inseparable, mm -hmm. that we healed our collective dis-ease of separation that led to the world of 2022, that was a world of suffering, of inequalities, of injustices, of a lack of truth. And a hundred years from now to look back and realize that within all of that breakdown, there were the green shoots of awareness, of, of waking up, of, as Ken Wilber says, of waking up, to this mm -hmm. deeper understanding of the unified nature of reality and its meaning and its purpose flowing through the universe and flowing through us. And as we did, rather like being, you know, in, in, in a fever of a dis-ease, the fever broke and we woke up and remembered and saw each other and saw a universe that is loving that is benevolent and a planet that's been calling out to us to wake up, shouting ever more loudly, now is the time, now is the time, wake up. And as we look back from a hundred years hence, 2022 was the breakthrough year to wake up because we reached a point where we could not go on as we were. We had literal, literally a dis-ease caused by one of the smallest, if not the smallest of Gaia's organic children, a virus, and one of her greatest evolutionary agents, a virus, that stopped us in our tracks. So many realized that the old normal was not normal. It was not something to be applauded and gone back to. Mm. And also we had a situation where Conflicts had become utterly mad, literally mad. Um, a reflection of the, that aspect of our psyche that was unhealed. And so how do we respond to them? Not with a, a tit for tat destruction, but a call for life, a call for love, and a call for coming together. And that, you know, breakthrough is still in its birth pangs. And yet when I look back from a hundred years hence, I see that as we began to clean up our trauma, along with the waking and growing up, we're becoming ever more able to show up mm -hmm. and to link up and to lift up. 
and knowing as the ancients did that group intention where it is of the highest vibration is literally miraculous and that's what i see as i look back i see this incredible almost as though we've been in a collective dream that had become a nightmare and we suddenly all sort of woke up and shook ourselves and went that was awful that was terrible but now i see i see differently i see with the eyes of love and the hear with the ears of my heart and it's all different thank goodness thank goodness i feel that in this conversation that the three of us are having, it's a happening. <laughs> it's the enunciation of the prophetic moment wherein we all, in small groups and larger ones, and in the very mind of the cosmos and of the, and of the earth herself, new forms of awakening, new ways of being, and most lovely of all, the awakening awakement. I believe that the, that is the derivation of the word, the Hindu word, bodhisattva. <laughs> the bodhisattvas of the world are not just awakening, they are coming together so that there is one great, luminous, deeply engaged happening reality, consciousness, and that consciousness we know, as you have written so beautifully, is a living entity. It isn't just something that occurs to us occasionally, <laughs> but all the fascination with consciousness in today's science. <clears throat> and you, my friend, have for many years been the leading proponent and exponent of the ways that the mind joins great mind herself and the ways in which we are engaged in memory, past, present, and future, future memory, that is sending its signals back to us saying, hey there, it's time to wake up. You're deeply prepared, maybe not enough, but the rest is up to you. And so it is that question. The rest is up to us. Dear Jude, what is it that is up to us right now? I think it comes down to perhaps one of the most simple and yet profound teachings that comes through every spiritual tradition, every wisdom teaching. What is up to us is to treat others as we would hope to be treated. In other words, to treat others in the truth that we are inseparable, that we are a universe and a cosmos that is unified and yet expresses its unity through radical diversity. And to recognize, to realize in each other and the whole world that we are reflections and fractal, fractals of this incredible, conscious, living, evolutionary thought, 
this great cosmic thought we call our universe and that we and the entirety of existence has meaning and purpose and to stand for that to stand for the truth of that to stand for the love of that to be the truth of that and to be the love of that you know Jude, when you're when you're saying this it brings back a memory of how we started Jean and i how we started the future humans podcast with our beloved friends hazel henderson who just made her transition as she shared those same words as what you did the golden rule she called it treat each other as she wanted to be treated and she broke down all that complexity of economics to just that simple rule and I, and and reminding us that an economy in any other system should serve to make that possible to make it easier for us to love each other to take care of each other to take care of our planet and to simply recognize this simple truth that you said, the golden rule. <laughs> so I feel in, in what you just shared, I, it's like you've presenced her here. Yeah, dear Hazel, as well. And uh, maybe let's just take a moment, you know, to honor her, because I know we all, we all miss her, we all, yeah, this is a very dear, dear friend. Um, maybe you want to share a few words in in her remembrance and Jean as well, because you, you two go back such a long way. Maybe Jude first, <laughs> some words in honoring Hazel. There are some people that are just radiant. And when we were talking about lionesses earlier, um, Jean and I both agree that Hazel was and is a lioness. And I just wonder, because we've had a number of our lionesses and lions transition over these last few years. And mm. one of the traditions that, Jean, you mentioned about bodhisattvas is that bodhisattvas consciously remain to care to care for the entirety of, of life and, and the possibility of, of future humans. And I just have a sense that Hazel and others of our beloved lionesses and lions are embodying such bodhisattva consciousness in this realm and beyond now. And I'm very, very grateful to her for her inspiration and her guidance in so many ways of how we ground ourselves in truth and equity and justice. I don't know that there are any words to follow what you've said. You have summed up the essence of one of the greatest women of our time. The one who said yes to existence, who had powerful sense of humor left all the time. <laughs> I've been in meetings with her when the men were going round, 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 and just sort of, you know, trying to break down reality in little bits. 
And she just would start to roar with laughter and look at them with such kindness <laughs> that they didn't feel offended. And then she would top it all with a kind of nugget of wisdom that was so rich that it made everything make sense again. Oh, Hazel, I will miss you so much. Hmm. Thank you both. Thank you both. So Jude, maybe as our closing completion question to you, what does it mean to you personally to walk the path of our future human potential? How do you nurture that when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed? <laughs> yeah, in those quiet moments, we just uh, I think I weave my life around three essences, which are love, joy, and gratitude. And as Jean said, those weave together with a lot of laughter. It's <laughs> a lesson of my mum. She's always said, um, take your work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. <laughs> wow. Wow. Would you like to have final words? <laughs> the final word. Final word. <laughs> that's that's uh, rather terrifying. The final word. <laughs> now, for now. Yeah, you put us on the spot always. You ask Jude to see hundred years from now, Jean. <laughs> the liberating yes. word. The liberating word. Well, it's always with me. It's the line of poetry, and that is. The human heart can go to the lengths of God. And if there was one person who did, it was Hazel. And I know that she's opening up new doors beyond the lengths of God <laughs> into the very lengths of being itself and essence. And I look upon her as, well, not so much a saint, she would find that funny, but as a provocateur of whoever and whatever and however the universe is unfolding. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jude. <laughs> All our love. Much, much love, dear friend. Much, much love to you, my dear. And much love to you, dear Annalise, as well. Thank and bless you. And it's been such a joy to, to send Hazel with us as well today. Yes. 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 Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs>